98.8K News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Steve Dunthorne. Tonight's headlines. Government experts play down concerns after a third death and more serious illness in people who've had the Sinovac vaccine. Hundreds of thousands more people are told they can now book a jab. And Carrie Lam tells people they will have a say on Beijing's electoral reforms at some point. An expert panel says it's concluded that there's no direct link between the Sinovac inoculation and the death on Saturday of a 55-year-old woman or the case of an 80-year-old man who was left fighting for his life in hospital. Both fell ill within days of receiving the vaccine. The panel's conveners said both had chronic illnesses. The preliminary findings of the woman's autopsy showed symptoms of a stroke. Co-convener Professor Ivan Hung says people with such conditions always face heightened risk. Whether they are vaccinated or not, they will still be at risk of having a sudden death. So I think it's important to compare those who have received the vaccine with the so-called baseline in people who subsequently developed ischemic heart disease or myocardial infarction. And of course, comparing to the death uh, in terms of the daily or the annual incidence people who actually succumb to coronary artery disease. The experts say it's likely that a diabetic woman ended up in intensive care after failing to take her insulin shots. They say that they don't yet have enough information on a 71-year-old man who died this morning. He appeared to be in good health before his vaccination. Three recently vaccinated people have died so far. An epidemiologist from the University of Hong Kong, Benjamin Cowling, says health officials should also explain whether the vaccine had anything to do with the latest death to assuage public concerns. These may just be coincidental events, but obviously it's very concerning when we hear about a number of events in people who've recently received vaccination. And uh, the Sinovac vaccination has been going for a little while. BioNTech's just started, so I'm also concerned that after a larger number, tens or hundreds of thousands of people have received the BioNTech vaccine, there could be similar reports as well, which again would be coincidental. And really transparency is going to be key to maintaining public confidence in the vaccines. Meanwhile, the government is expanding its vaccination programme, adding another 1.3 million people who work in relatively high-risk sectors to its priority list for inoculations. They can start making appointments for vaccinations from tomorrow. Here's Francis Sitt. The government said teachers, public transport drivers, restaurant staff, couriers, construction workers, as well as people working in gyms, beauty parlours and wet markets are among those who now get priority. The minister in charge of the vaccination programme, Patrick Nip, said there are enough jabs available and those workers are at a higher risk of contracting COVID-19. The civil service chief added that an additional 12 vaccination centres will open next week. So far, more than 2 million jabs from Chinese manufacturer Sinovac and German firm BioNTech have arrived in the territory. Authorities reported nine new COVID-19 cases today, six local, three imported. The Centre for Health Protection says four local cases have no clear source of infection. Health officials have closed off a building on Nathan Road for an overnight ambush-style lockdown. Residents of Chimcha Choi Mansion will have to take a test by 2 o'clock in the morning and officials hope to have results back by 7. It's the first overnight lockdown in two weeks. The government said the building had a recent confirmed case and was considered high risk because of its age and the number of subdivided flats there. The Chief Executive Carrie Lam says there simply isn't time for a public consultation exercise on Beijing's plan for an overhaul of the SAR's electoral system, though she promised to listen to the public. 
asked whether the public would take seriously a system that saw all candidates vetted by an election committee, Mrs Lam said that the reforms were simply intended to ensure that patriots run Hong Kong. It is only when that is assured that we could ensure the stability and prosperity of Hong Kong. We could uh, effectively uh, safeguard Hong Kong as a constitutional order under the basic law, and we could also effectively resolve those uh, deep-seated problems uh, in Hong Kong and achieve Hong Kong's prosperity and stability. Once Hong Kong people realize all these uh, justifications, I'm sure that they will take this, uh, these elections very seriously. She also said it's logical that the election committee poll would happen before the next LegCo race, signalling the possibility of a further postponement of the LegCo vote. You're tuned to RTHK. The time is five minutes past 11. The show is over at one of Hong Kong's largest cinema chains. UA Cinemas has closed after 36 years, citing the negative impact of COVID-19 on its business. Timmy Sung has more. In a statement, UA Cinemas blamed what it described as unavoidable and devastating pressure faced by our operations since the outbreak of the coronavirus pandemic. It called the decision to shut down definitely a painful and difficult decision. UA Cinemas opened in 1985 and ran six theatres across the territory. It was also the first company to introduce the IMAX screen to Hong Kong. Miss Lee, a regular film goer who was hoping to watch a movie with her mother at UA Cinemas in Times Square, mourned the collapse of the chain. Uh, I feel sad. I want to buy a ticket yesterday. We came back here now and they are closed. We are so unexpected and yeah, I feel sad. We know that government can do something for them, but they didn't do anything in this period. Others believe UA's demise means many people losing their jobs and fewer choices for the consumers. Cinemas in Hong Kong were shut down for periods since the start of the pandemic, most recently between early December and mid-February after the end of the Chinese New Year holiday. In the past year, the government has twice provided a one-off subsidy to cinemas, capped at $3 million each. Film critic Daniel Chan says the 36-year-old cinema chain is a casualty of both the pandemic and the government inaction. He spoke to Joanne Wong. Really sad, you know, because of the pandemic and, you know, and, and a government, they did nothing to help the film industry, really. They should give subsidies to every cinema, right, to cover the rent at least. That's, that's the least they can do, I think. Overseas, there's been more bloodshed in the anti-coup protests across Myanmar, with two protesters reportedly killed by gunshot wounds to the head in the northern town of Mayadkiania. This came as shops, factories and banks were closed in the main city, Yangon, as part of the real uprising against the country's military rulers. Anna-Marie Evans asked our Southeast Asia correspondent, Laurie Jagan, for the latest on the protests. Over the weekend, uh, things seemed to be getting worse in terms of uh, repression, but it, in a way it was only the, the military using guns, uh, shots and uh, stun grenades to actually frighten people. I mean, it, it, in many ways, some of the locals are, are calling this army a terrorist group, uh, and, and that's in fact what they're trying to do. They're trying to, to terrorise the community into not protesting uh, and, and not uh, supporting the civil disobedient movement. It, it's still failing, uh, although the, the protests 
uh, today were not as large. Uh, they're playing cat and mouse with the, with the authorities. The police, in fact, this morning got earlier than the protesters to the sites that they would normally go to, uh, and when they came, they dispersed them. Uh, but then the protesters formed somewhere else. So it's still going on. It's still, it's still really a war between the military uh, and and uh, the authorities. And how do you see it playing out? Unfortunately, at the moment, uh, I can't see things changing very much. Uh, the 27th of March is Army Day. This is the most significant day in the military's calendar. And this year it was planned, and it's still planned, to be the biggest they've had in many, many years. And it was to be a victory celebration uh, of the military taking over power and getting the country back to normal, uh, for reinstituting law and order uh, and... Uh, really uh, decapitating the, the National League for Democracy. But that's not what's going to happen. So I fear that in the next two weeks uh, we're going to see the authorities continuing to crack down. Uh, the most disturbing thing, of course, is that at night um, the authorities are, are breaking into houses. They, under the new laws, they don't actually have to have search, search warrants. Uh, there is, there's no control uh, of the police, and they're arresting NLD uh, members who who are ward administrators. I mean, through, through, throughout the country, there's, there's a sort of decentralisation of authority. And at the lowest level, uh, particularly in Rangoon and Mandalay, it's obviously the NLD that are the uh, authorities. Uh, they've been sacked by the, uh, the new uh, junta, uh, and they're now being arrested. Uh, what's also frightening is that just in the last five days, we've had, in Yangon alone, three people die while in custody. Proceedings begin today in connection with one of the most significant police trials in US history over the killing of George Floyd last May in Minneapolis. The officer on trial, Derek Chauvin, is accused of second-degree murder, after Mr Floyd's death, which was filmed by a bystander, there were weeks of unrest across the United States. The BBC's Barbara Platusha is in Minneapolis. They're going to be broadcasting it live, which is the first time in Minneapolis. Quite a unique situation. The judge said he had made that decision because there was such great public interest in the case and because COVID restrictions meant very few people could be in the courtroom. So the jury selection is set to start today. That is going to take at least three weeks because, of course, the jury is supposed to be as much a blank slate as possible, but that's almost impossible given how many people have seen that video. A hugely anticipated TV interview in the US has given the Duke and Duchess of Sussex an opportunity to wear their account of why they left their duties with the British royal family and left for a new life in California. Sitting down with their friend, the TV host Oprah Winfrey, Meghan, the wife of Prince Harry, said she considered self-harm while struggling with life as a member of the British royal family. So were you thinking of harming yourself? Were you having suicidal thoughts? Yes. This was very, very clear. Wow. Very clear and very scary. And, you know, I didn't know who to even turn to in that. Yeah. It was like, these are the thoughts that I'm having in yes. the middle of the night that yeah. are very clear. Clarification. And I'm scared mm -hmm. because this is very real. This mm -hmm. isn't some abstract idea. This is methodical and this is not who I am. The Duchess also hinted at racism ahead of the birth of her first child, Archie. In those months when I was pregnant, 
all around this same time. So we have in tandem the conversation of he won't be given security. He's not going to be given a title. And also concerns and conversations about how dark his skin might be when he's born. The British food delivery firm Deliveroo has announced plans for its listing on the London Stock Exchange. The flotation is expected to value the company at more than seven billion US dollars, even though it's never made a profit. The BBC's Andrew Walker has the details. Britain was the country where Deliveroo's founder, Will Shu, established the company, delivering restaurant meals and more by bicycle. He's chosen London as the venue to raise new funds from the stock market. The terms of the listing will give Mr Shu personally a central role. For the first three years, his shares will have 20 times the voting weight of those held by other investors. Deliveroo is a business that has thrived in the pandemic. While restaurants have been hit very hard, many customers have turned to delivery services as an alternative. Sport now and in football, Manchester United boss Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has ruled out a Premier League title challenge despite their 2-0 win in the derby, which ended Manchester City's 21-game winning run. City remain 11 points clear of Solskjaer's second-place side with 10 games remaining. We just take one game at a time and we, we know we got 10 games and they're all going to be very difficult. City are so far away from us that we, we shouldn't think that in that, uh, those uh, ways. No, we should just focus on ourselves and do what we can do. Liverpool dropped a sixth consecutive game at Anfield where they were beaten by relegation-threatened Fulham. Mario Lamina scored at the stroke of half-time for the game's only goal. Fulham moved level on points with Brighton, who were one place above the drop zone. Scott Parker is the Fulham manager. It's a big win, uh, a lot of emotion, um, very, very proud and happy for the players and the team because they, didn't, they, they, they got nothing short of what they deserve today. Overall, on all-round performance for us, which I'm very proud of. Tottenham climbed above Liverpool with a 4-1 thrashing of Crystal Palace, two goals each for Harry Kane and Gareth Bale. Spurs are up to fifth. Bale says he's finally up to full fitness. I wouldn't have come if I didn't think I could I could contribute to the team. So, um, yeah, it's taken a bit of time. Ideally, it doesn't take us long, but it, that's the reality of, of football, my body, and, and, and what happens in terms of form and, and performances. So, uh, just one of those things. Took a bit more time, but I feel good now, and hopefully I can keep keep this form going. In basketball, Giannis Antetokounmpo made all 16 of his shots in a 35-point performance to propel Team LeBron to a 170-150 victory over Team Durant in the NBA All-Star Game in Atlanta. A reminder of our top stories tonight. Government experts play down concerns after a third death and more serious illness in people who've had the Sinovac vaccine. And hundreds of thousands more people are told they can now book a jab. The news from RTHK. In our newsroom, thanks to Steve Dunthorne, we'll have more headlines coming up at midnight. Never learn 
big pony, let the spinning wheel turn. Did you find the directing sign on the straight and narrow highway? Would you mind the reflecting sign? Just let it shine within your mind and show you the color. track is called Spinning Wheel from 1968. The band Blood, Sweat and Tears. Jazz Rock music group uh, founded in New York City. And it was written by the Canadian lead vocalist of the group, uh, David Clayton Thomas. Uh, Blood, Sweat and Tears and Spinning Wheel, uh, 1969. From a year later, 1970... This is Edison Lighthouse from England. Best known for this tune. She ain't got no money, her clothes are 